Blog Talk Radio. You all appreciate it. When I was young, me and my mama had beef. Seventeen years old, kicked out on the street. Though back at the time, I never thought I'd see a face. Ain't a woman alive that could take my mama's place. Spending from school, scared to go home. I was a fool with the big boys breaking all the rules. Set tears with my baby sister. Over the years, we was poor than us, a little kid. And even though we had different daddies, the same drama when things went wrong, we blamed mama. I reminisce on the stress I caused. It was hell, hugging on my mama from a jail cell. And who thinking hell Oh, Tupac, Tupac, Tupac. They're not ready for that. They're not ready for that because you know how you get. Folks, what's going on? Special show today. This is Saeed Dabinga, Saeed Kikesi Dabinga, Saeed Yang Kikesi Dabinga. For all those emails, we keep asking the same question. I'm my dad. No, I'm my dad's son. Hope you guys are doing well out there. It's a kind of a cold night here in L.A., but my heart is warm. My heart is hot. My spirit is burning. It's going to be a little special show today. I think a few of you people know about it. Actually, a lot of you people know about it. I got a whole lot of email. I wanted to do two hours, but my knee is, like, going out on me, and I'm on medication, so I don't want to risk dozing off in the middle of a, of a tribute. And now, so you hear dead air. Like I was shut down by the Rwandan militia or something like that. You know what I mean? So today's show is called uh, Dear Mwasa. It's letters to the women of the DRC Congo. Uh, Mwasa is what my dad calls my mom. And along with my mother, my Tantine, Musao, Wakabongo, and my sisters, Musao, Mwadi, and Shaumba, uh, Shaumba Yanja. You know, all the women in my family are just strong women. You know, very independent women, very intellectual women, very ambitious, very entrepreneurial. And to me, they're the ambassadors of the women of Congo back home. And today is going to be, for me, a very difficult show because when I see what's going on back home to the women, as I had mentioned in the interview with Congo Vision last week, that's our mother's. And that's our daughters, and that's our sisters, and that's our grandmothers out there, and that's our aunts. When I read what's happening to them and how this isn't the DRC that I remember and during years, so that might be a good thing or a bad thing, but I never heard of our women being treated like this. The last time I saw this kind of viciousness towards our women was during the the time, I believe, in 93, 1993, when um, Mobutu... Uh, convinced a lot of people down there at Katanga that the Baluba were trying to take over as one of his many games where he tried to divide the nation so he could stay in power. And it resulted in a forced exodus, forced murder, and I'm sure there was rape taking place. But what we have now is just off the scale. And I really wasn't even going to do the show. I was really debating up until literally a minute before we went on air here in the studio because, you know, a lot of people out there are talking about the Congolese rape victims, the Congolese rape victims, the Congolese rape victims, the Congolese victims of sexual violence and the Congolese who are just being raped into oblivion. And unlike some Congolese that many of us know, 
who aren't even worthy of being called Congolese, it really affects me. And all day when I was talking with some people, you know, I was meeting a good friend of mine today, Nakia, and, you know, she was interested what was um, what Congo looked like, what Kinshasa looked like, and I showed her some pictures. She was um, a little amazed, and I know why, because the pictures I showed her of Kinshasa aren't the ones you see in the news. When I was meeting with a good friend of mine, and Nakia's a great stylist. She's doing uh, the clothing for our film coming up, a Neo song. When I talked to my friend Howard, Howard Simpson, a good friend of mine from New York, he's an artist out here in L.A., we were talking um, about a lot of things, the Middle East, film, and what have you. But during those conversations, both conversations, and during my con- my time between them, I just kept thinking about back home, just kept thinking about back home. What can I do? we got to do something. When I think about someone while we're here eating, this young lady is starving somewhere, this young man is dying somewhere, and this young child is running somewhere, it was really affecting my heart. And sometimes it's really difficult for myself, and I'm not speaking for anybody else, but for me, and maybe some people can relate to this, when I really, really at times can have a sense of helplessness and really try to fight the frustration because people, brothers, sisters, we got an extermination. We have a femicide going on back home. They're getting wiped out. They're destroying, they're trying to destroy our future. You know, and this about it is some people help them do it by making them objects, these refugee reports. They don't even talk about them like they're people. So my challenge to those out there in cyberspace, those out there listening, when someone says they're about the Congo and they want to defend the women and stuff like that, and they're really up on arms about what's going on with the survivors of rape, survivors of femicide, I want you to ask them this question. I want you to ask them to give you the name of one victim, one survivor, just one. Idiot, let's go deep into, into the cut. Have them give you two. And I bet you, odds are, too often you're going to see a blank expression. They're going to say they don't know. Because our women are being made into a cause, but they're not being given an, an, an identity. You know? It's like I said to a friend of mine a long time ago, they're burying our extermination and the invasion by Rwanda and Uganda under foreign aid, under peace deals, under transitional governments, under power sharing agreements. They want you to focus on that instead of the mass murder that took place in the Eastern Congo. So it was really difficult to really do the show today. It was really difficult because, to be honest, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get through it. I thought you were breaking down, getting angry, or what have you. But, you know, as it was done in this TV show years ago called Spencer for Hire about this guy named Hawk, uh, Spencer, Hawk was a bodyguard, real good friend of Spencer, but Hawk had this quiet rage, and Spencer said, Hawk made it through life by using his quiet rage in a positive way to take action. So I just take action, whether it be through the, through the film, Once Upon a Time in the Congo. You can go there, onceuponatimeinthecongo.com. You know, put your email in there. We'll give you a free poster, free copy of the promo DVD we shot last year. I mean, free people. We'll even pay for the mailing. Once Upon a Time in the Congo.com. Could be through the station that we do, you know, here another course of action, it could be in a conversation with a Congolese or non-Congolese, but not in the way of saying, you know, 
our situation is the situation in the world is by saying that there's a situation that you don't know about it that you don't know about that maybe you can make a difference because you never know who you, whose idea you can spark just by your words. So today's show, Dear Mwasa, Letters to the Women of DRC Congo. And what I did was I sent the call out to a lot of people. I sent it to a lot of people. And what I wanted people to do was write a letter to the women of Congo, to a Congolese woman, as though they would know her, like you, the listeners, writing a letter to your brother, or you, the listeners, writing a letter to your sister, what have you. I wanted them, I wanted letters written to people as though they were writing to the person like they know them. And let me tell you, people answered the call. On the chat board, people, you can talk with me. You can go uh, to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Saeed Dabinga. That's S-A-I-D as in David. D as in David. I. B as in Bukavu. I. N as in Nigeria. G as in Goma. A. You can chat with me that way. You can call in uh, 1-6595-2892. 1-646-595-2892. But what I want to do is just read some letters, play some music here, because you know how I like to flow my music in and out. But as I was saying, people answered the call. You know, um, I mean, the emails was coming in. And the surprising thing is more, more non-Congolese sending letters than, not, than Congolese themselves, which is very interesting. Very interesting. So, we got a letter from, we got all kinds of stuff, people. We got a letter from uh, Monique Walden, good friend of mine out here in Alhambra. It was an Altadena, but I'll read her letter. We're going to dedicate that to someone special on her behalf. I've known her for a while. She supported the, con- my, you know, the, the Congo mission that I've taken upon myself with user minds like Congo Vision. Sylvester, I know you out there. What's going on? It's like Solange in Miami. Solange is happening. Tina, my friend Topio Lule, Nigerian. You know, Ben Mandela, Pastor Casareca, Nita Avella. It's not just me. Like I said, it's about us. Um, Tina Ngangua down there in Miami. She sent something in. She was like apologizing that it came at the last minute. And it's like, it's not about, you know, the last minute. It's the fact that she took the time to do it. And she wrote a letter that, I, I, I mean, literally, you know, I, when I said I wanted something written like it was written to somebody back home, when I started reading it, I thought it was like written to me. It was just so personal and just so emotional, so deep. She sent something in. And, you know, we're going to read her letter. Uh, a good friend of mine, but we've never met. The only by the internet we talk on the phone, Dave Donaldson, that guy. Hearts of Diamonds, people, Hearts of Diamonds. Pick up the book. Go to Amazon.com. It's called Hearts of Diamonds. In his own way, his uh, subterfuge way, in the conspiracy way, sublimal way, he talks about literally what's going on back home in a fictional style. But if you brush away the layer, the top layer, you're going to see a whole lot of factual stuff down there. He, he didn't send in a letter. He sent in two audio clips from his book. I was done. I mean, I was done. In fact, I'm not even taking calls today because I want you guys to hear what, the, what these folks did. You know, Tina, Monique, other people. You know, I got a letter here from a Jane Ngonda. That's Jane Ngondo. I'm sorry, Jane Ngondo. She's with uh, Foundation Chalupe. 
Uh, I'll read this to you. What she said, it was a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And, but then Dave sent the two clips. I was like, oh, my goodness. Let me tell you something. You know, he's a great, this guy is just about, to, to the fact he took the time to write the book. And he's not the only person. There's a young lady in New York who had written a book also, whose name escapes me, but I will mention the next show. So I get two audio clips from Dave, and I'm like, whoa, all right. It's like that. Okay, let's, let's go then. Let's go then. I was just really, really touched because, you know, people, let me tell you something. Sometimes it's very difficult to not think you're by yourself, to think it's just you. But it's not. When people answer the call, like Tina did in Miami, Tina Ngangura, whose uncle is Mwede Ngangura, one of the biggest directors from back home. He's like a legend. He's their dente. You know, so she knows the culture. She has a spirit. She's from the East. So her people are getting, you know, to her, these aren't just some IDPs on a refugee report. These are her relatives. You know, my people in Yemen getting hurt. You know, there's people out there who do care and do want to make a difference and are trying to make a difference. And sometimes when we don't see it happen as fast as we think it should happen, you know, we get a little frustrated, we get a little down, but we have to remember that moment will come that's going to uplift us. Because let me share something with you. Journal President-elect Obama's campaign, he was really to the point where he was feeling really depressed, wasn't sure things were going on. And trust me, I'm coming to the letters. I'm coming to them, trust me. But I want to share something with you. He was feeling really down. He didn't know what was going on. He just was like, you know, it's not working and his spirits was low. So he was at um, a speaking, a meeting somewhere in the Midwest, you know, a rally. There wasn't a whole lot of people there, but there was a good enough. It wasn't like the thousands and thousands. It was like about maybe a couple of hundred or 50 or something like that. And you could tell in the room that his spirits was down. So this one lady, one lady, an elder black American woman stood up and she turned to the crowd. And she said, are you fired up? And they're like, yes, we are. She goes, I can't hear you. Are you fired up? She goes, they're like, yeah, we are fired up. She goes, I can't hear you. Are you fired up? Are you ready to go? And they were like, we are ready to go. We are ready to go. And she just started saying over and over and over again where it almost became like a religious revival in there. That's, where, that's why when you hear Obama talking about he was fired up and he was ready to go, he got it from her. He was uplifted and motivated by one person she did not know. So people, brothers, sisters, people out there in cyberspace, out there in Wonderland, let me tell you, it's just going to take one person, one, to light that fire who's fired up and ready to go. So we're ready to go. So let's get down to some reading here, right? I'm not going to weave in some music yet. I might not even do any music today because I don't know, folks. If I hear some music, I might be done. <laughs> I might not last through the show. So if you hear paper in the background, you know, that's, that's what you hear. I'm actually with the letters in my hand. A whole lot of letters, and I see more emails coming in. People send them in. If I can't do them, I'll just cut and paste and put them on the website. Again, people, blog, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Saeed Dabenga. Talk to me in cyberspace. Talk to me in Wonderland. Ah, Tina, what's going on? I see you out there. I was just talking about you. <laughs> all right, folks. We're going to go to our first letter here. And I'm going to probably sprinkle in some music here and there, all right? Uh, first letter here is written by Giselle Chessier. I know her as Giselle Mukendi. Now, outside of my family, Giselle, I believe, known, has known me longer than, whoa, 
is one of the few people who can say they've known me almost 30 years. She knew me since I was 19. Giselle up there in Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. Kendi, but she goes by the name Chessier. Cool name. Giselle's one of the coolest ones, goes by Jiz, goes by Gigi. She wrote a letter in. We're going to dedicate this letter to 25-year-old Moazo, M-Y-W-A-Z-O. She was a victim of sexual assault out there in eastern Congo, 25-year-old. Her name spelled M as in Yema, Y-W-A-Z-O. Muezo. And Giselle writes, Dear friend, you don't know me, but I heard about your story and would like to give you some words of encouragement. I want you to know that you are not alone and not forgotten. Many people around the world, including myself, are praying for you. We're all praying that you will have justice soon. I have never walked a mile in your shoes, so I cannot say that I understand how you feel. I do know that with God, everything is possible. As long as prayers keep coming up, blessings will come down. God will not forsake you. He will make sure that you will have justice one day. Keep your hands in God. Keep your hands in God's unchanging hands, and he will give you renewed strength every day. I will continuously keep you in my prayers. May God bless and keep you, your family, and friends. Always with you, Giselle Chassier, Indianapolis, Indiana. I could barely read that letter, so I'm afraid to even go on. Giselle, from the bottom of my heart, you know I love you, and I really appreciate you taking the time. And she's really, Giselle, you know, uh, from Kasai, known her for a long time. Beautiful sister, beautiful woman. And when she came with that letter, I was done, you know. If she kept going, I don't know if I will finish, but Giselle, I really appreciate it. And again, that letter is dedicated to 25-year-old Mwei Wazu. If I mispronounce the, the names, folks. Please bear with me, all right? Please bear with me. So let me do a little musical interlude here before we get to the next letter because I need a break myself before, you know, I don't know. It's just people, let me tell you, our sisters, our future is getting waylaid in DRC. They're not just things. It's the little Solanges, the little Tinas, the little Mwadis, the little Musaos, the little Ngolelas, who are not but five, six, seven years old, who might not make it tomorrow. All right? So I'm going to dedicate this song here. It's called Leave No Man Behind. It's actually from Black Hawk Down, but I like the flow. Because basically talking about if we're going to finish our mission, and our mission for us, Congo, is Congo, then we can't leave anybody behind. So I'm going to dedicate this to them, to the people back home, to the women, and then we're going to come back for a letter from Tina.
Whoa, whoa, engineer. We can't play it twice because, you know, I'm done. <laughs> I already feel tears coming to my eyes. And people, there's about 30 people in the studio with me. And there's like some, you know, tears flowing. And, you know, folks a little emotional. And I haven't gotten to the groove yet, but they're moved by Giselle's letter. Folks, you going to come to the next one here? Uh, it's by Tina Ngangua out there in North Miami Beach, Florida. You know her uncle, Mwezi Ngangua. I had the pleasure of meeting him in um, Florida, not Florida, in Los Angeles when he came here a couple years back. I think it was before I went. No, I had just came back from Miami when I had met him. I think it was back in 05. Not exactly sure the date, but I had the pleasure of meeting him. And he did something that was real cool. He actually, if you go, if you ever see the clip, Once Upon a Time in the Congo, the rough promo clip, there's an overhead shot of the market in Kinshasa, right? That's actually his footage, Mwezi's uh, footage. footage. Because what happened was we didn't have any footage of uh, back home in uh, Kinshasa where I was born. So that makes me, yes, folks, the Kinwa is in the house. So a friend of mine, Leslie Matali, spoke with him. I guess had a connection with him in, in Belgium. She's actually here in LA, but she has a connection with him in Belgium and put the word that, you know, we need some footage. And he said, Hey, I have some extra footage you could use. So he sent some footage, I guess from all his movies or whatever that was unused. And uh, I didn't know what to use. It was so much. I can make my own movie from that stuff. So we used that footage and I wanted to make sure I say that publicly to the world and he's listening or gets word. I'll never forget that. And we're actually, we remastered the promo. We just finished shooting a scene a little while ago. Um, there's a big thank you from him because when people see that market, people are like, oh, my God, that's back home. So that's uh, Tina's uncle. Tina's down there in Miami doing what she does, getting her tan, you know, handling her business. Very passionate, very uh, very strong writer. And I actually spoke with her the other day. And I'm telling you, when I read the letter she sent in, I thought it was literally addressed to me. When I said I want something personal to the people, I literally – she went down to the roots, as I say. So let me read this letter to her, and I'm going to try to get through it because already this is kind of taking an emotional toll on me. So but we're going to do this anyways. Um, we're going to dedicate this letter to Insamiri Bachiyazunja. That's Insamiri Bachiyazunja, or the Juze. That's N-S-I-M-I-R-E. Last name is B as in Bukavu, A-C-H-I-Y-U-N-J-U-Z-E. Uh, this letter is dedicated to her, from Tina Ngangua. It begins, Dada, which is sister in Swahili. I don't have the right words to express how I feel today. If I was with you, I would simply hug you and never let, you, and never let go. Needless to say, tears would be running down my face as well, and no word would be coming out of my dry mouth. But today, I am not with you. I cannot hug you. I cannot cry because my tears have frozen in my heart. I did and I do cry when I saw and see on TV the despair on your face, cascading emotions amplified by my powerless distance separations from you, ooh, from you animate me. Okay, folks, it's, I can feel it already. So let me read that line again. Cascading emotions amplified by my powerless, powerless distance separation from you animate me. You are alive. I feel joy. Quickly that joy dissipates when I realize the horror you have lived and you are still living as you are reading my letter. You are in pain. I want to rebel. Quickly, I feel confused because I don't know who to rebel against. Who can hear me pleading for justice for you? So I remain quiet. I think, I imagine, 
I understand you could have been me and I could have been you. You have a role to play in my life. I have a role to play in your life. My place today seems is better than yours, but what's the point if I constantly feel your despair and accompanies me every day of my life? So I really have to do something. I need to help relieve you and alleviate your pain so that I will not carry the shadow of shame with me every day in the weight of this shared despair. You and I will be happy here or there. I don't know yet where there is. Remember that I love you. If I was a bird, I would come at night, snatch you off their hands and bring you where I live. It's a land where one of our brothers has been elected president. Did you know? It's not a perfect place, but I know you can rest and regain strength, hope for a future full of life, abundant life. Then later, one day, we would both go back home together, maybe in a different bird, maybe on a different bird. After the ones who have betrayed us would leave and never come back again, we would cook, eat, and dance together, admiring the great land God gave us with all our children around us. Signed, Tina Ingangua, down there in North Miami Beach, Florida. <sighs> and that's dedicated to Demiri Bachiyajunje. I'm probably killing her last name, but I apologize. I'm going to spell it. I want to make sure she knows it's for her. Last name is B-A-C-H-I-Y-U-N-G-J-U-Z-E. People. I barely made it through that letter. <laughs> I'm telling you. Hey, Tina, can't see if you're still there with us, but let me tell you, that letter, from the bottom of my heart, you know I love you. You already know that. That's why you won't come to L.A., but that's another story altogether. Hope you have a lot of smiles to her face. But people, that letter, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. those words just go to the spirit and go to the heart. And that's the skills that we have, and that's the skills that Tina has with the pen. She doesn't know how dangerous she is with the pen. Hey, Tina, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Man. We're going to do this next song here, but it's not a song. It's a letter by a good friend of mine, Dave Donaldson, out there. And uh, he's out there in New York, real good guy. He's saying an audio piece for us to listen to. Uh, Dave, just when I t- it's feel like the, it's weird because we're both on Facebook, and he was like, he didn't know I was on Facebook. I don't know he's on Facebook. And he said, hey, it's a miracle we never met or introduced or got connected that way. But when I found, you know, talking to him, it was like, I felt like, me personally, I felt like I knew the guy forever, you know. So we're going to do this next piece here. And Dave, if you're listening, you're out there, thank you for submitting your post. Hopefully it comes through properly. Let me make sure it loaded properly, because I'll be really mad if it didn't. Let's see. I might have to go look for it. So we will hold off until we see what's going on because for some reason Dave's piece is not up here. I'm kind of irritated about that. So let me see if I can find it. If I can't get it here, what I'll probably do is I'll just do a special 15-minute show from him. We can do those kind of things. I got an interesting email from somebody. They were like, uh, sorry, you like to play a lot of music um, from different genres and cultures. And you never really, you know, I like Tupac. This is what the letter said. I like Tupac, and you played Dear Mama once, but, you know, can you do a dedication from Tupac? I'm like, oh, well, that's no problem. You know, we're Congolese. You know how we do things. Please. We could probably make, you know, we can make games from anything. So, you know, Tupac was very outspoken, like a Congolese, very aggressive, like a Congolese, and very politically minded, like a Congolese. 
and you always had vision if he was a Congolese in the spirit. You know, he grew up in the struggle back in the 60s. Well, the 70s, actually. So, I'm not, you know, the men are being abused back home also. The men are being abused back home also, okay? And sometimes they have to see their mothers be, they have to see their wives who are pregnant be killed and murdered and things along those lines, right? And we forget when our sisters, and let me tell you something. Where I teach at, when I hear how some of the young brothers talk to the sisters, and I don't mean just the young black women, I mean like the young Latino women, you know, I take them aside and I, I just basically give them the lecture and I tell them if I ever hear you speak like that again, there'll be repercussions in your grave. We have to condition the kids now to respect the women as they get older. And what I'm afraid of and fearing is that too many of our young sisters back home, they're being around the young men who think it's okay to sexually assault a woman and no repercussions. I don't roll like that, and I don't roll like that here. Now, we'll say Tupac, the Congolese man, his wife is pregnant, and he's dying because he tried to defend the country. He, defied, he tried to define his wife. So he, he doesn't know if he's going to see his child again. So what can we do? What would Tupac write to his wife who's pregnant, knowing that he won't see the child because he's about to die? Tupac, talk to me. To my unborn child. To my unborn unborn child. In case I don't make it. Just remember that unborn child. Get to holler at my unborn child Many things learned in prison Blessed to still living Trying to earn every penny that I'm getting And reminiscing to the beginning of my mission When I was conceived They came to be in this position My mama was a panther loud Single parent but she proud When she with this baby boy Rip a crowd to school But I dropped out And left the house Cause my mama say I'm good for nothing So I'm out since I only got one life to live God forgive me for my sins Let me make it and I'll never steal again Or deal again My only friend is my misery Wanting revenge for the agony they did to me See my life ain't promised but it's short Get better, hope you understand my love better To my unborn child Tupac, thank you for that mix. Sister, 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 talk. I see you out there. 
I'm going to dedicate that one to you. Thank you, support. Now, we have another letter here written by Monique Daniels. I said Monique Walden earlier, but Monique Daniels um, from Altadena, California. We're going to direct this. We're going to dedicate this one to Marindi Uprazi. Marindi Uprazi. This letter is dedicated to you back home. Hopefully, God and the Spirit, the answers will get this to you. We're going to dedicate this letter to you from Monique Daniels. And it goes, dear friend, you don't know me, but we share a life of sisterhood and the act of horrible, violent crimes that has been forced upon us by persons with dignity, no respect for others. The violence that I experienced several times throughout my life now seems to be just a brief moment. Now I can look back and give thanks that I am a survivor like yourself. Each day I pray and give thanks that I survived and became a more stronger woman as I know you are. When I learned of the violence that you continuously endure in your country, my heart cried out for you, my sister. I can only imagine, imagine what you are feeling each day of your life. I know you are longing to be free from social injustice and pain. I just want you to know that you are not alone, that you are not forgotten, and that one day you will have the justice that you deserve. Always with you, Monique Daniels, Altadena, California. Monique, Monique. Man. You know, there's something that says, um, there's a way, there's a way that a woman can talk to another woman. There's a feeling that she can have that another woman feels. Are the men being raped out there? Oh, yes, they are. You'd be surprised what's happening to the men, and I think the next show I'm going to do is going to be dedicated to the Congolese men. Um, man, Monique, Tina, <laughs> you know, Giselle. I don't know. we got like 24 minutes left, and I don't think I can make it through another, any more of these letters. I, I don't know if I can flow because it's really, it's really starting to get to me. And like I said, I really struggled with what I was going to do this show today because I don't think I was going to make it through. But I have to because... When I think about, when I see those pictures, <laughs> when I see those pictures of 75-year-old women back home carrying everything they have on their head and carrying their child on their back, walking from what is their home and not knowing if they're going to find another one, not knowing where they're going to end up, not knowing if they'll be remembered, not knowing if anyone even cares. It just really gets to me. Because a lot of people don't know is that, you know, my mom at one point was uh, internally displaced back home when she was pregnant with me. So if something had happened to her, I wouldn't be here. So as my brothers and sisters in America say, I don't suffer any fools. I don't have that kind of patience of wasting time and waiting for tomorrow or next week. All we got is right now because a minute from now, none of us could be here. When I see those pictures, when I see a picture of his father with his two children on top of a wagon with all the supplies and it's pouring rain, and if you folks want to see rain, you go to Congo during the rainy season, 
and he's looking at the camera with this look of if I only had a gun because he's on the run. And his children are looking at him not knowing what he's about to do. It gets me. And when I think about all of us out here who are trying to figure out how to do something for back home with the economies and our economies, and our efforts, our advocacy is not connecting with the people who it's for, like our mother on the run, our sister on the run, our father on the run. It gets to me. But I believe, I really believe, somehow they're going to find out. If I have to get a, you know, steal a helicopter or a plane and Xerox these letters and follow the Goma and Bukavo and Kivu and drop them off like leaflets, and, you know, Lingala, Swahili, Bashi, and, you know, whatever, I don't know if the Nande speak, I'll do it. Because they're going to find out. And let me tell you, when you find out that you're not alone, when you find out that you're not alone, that there is somebody standing with you, it makes all of the difference. I know for my religious friends out there, they always ask, you know, someone just asked me, and, you know, can you give me an analogy? It's like Congo helped out so many people, the Angolans, get their independence. We helped the Rwandan army, the Burundian army. We helped other liberation movements. We helped, you know, we helped a lot of people, a lot of people. We didn't invade anybody. Now, there was a guy running his mouth in Burundi one day, and Mobutu sent the ex-Defaz to get him, and he ended up on Congolese TV the next day. That's a little different story altogether. But a lot of people, let me give you some history here. Our Congolese heroine like Mukaya, our Congolese heroine like Lalinga, who were part of the Confederacy back home in our history, this isn't the fought to see. This isn't the Congo they fought to see. And now in our time, people are treating us like Paul in the Bible. When he went and spread all these churches, built all these churches, spreading the gospel. This is for my Christian friends out there. Risking his life. Only to find himself in front of a Roman court. And folks that know history, a Roman court, there's guilty and there's guilty. He stood there and go read the scripture. Nobody was standing with him. Nobody, not anybody he helped out, converted, brought to the light, made a believer. He stood by himself. And right now, Congo is Paul because we're standing by ourselves. I'm not talking about my sisters out there like Tina and Solange and my sisters and Wadi or Musa or the sisters like sister, sister, sister talk. I'm not talking about our allies here, back home. We're standing by ourselves. But one day, there's going to be justice. One day. Because all the people that, brought, that doomed Paul in are forgotten. All we remember is Paul. One day, all the folks that was doomed Congo in are going to be forgotten. Because all we're going to remember is Congo. You know why? Because we're still here. Leopold killed a quarter of the population. A quarter. We're still here. Baldwin came out with the colonials, with their force public. We're still here. Mobutu tried to bankrupt the country for his own needs. We're still here. 96, we got invaded. 98, we got invaded. 7 million dead. 3,000 dying a day. 30,000 dying a month. We're still here. And when I'm gone, Congo's still going to be here. Women, 
my sister's back home to DRC. Let me share something with you. See if I can find this here. I'm going to dedicate, I'm going to read something, a little article I came across before I get into the song. I'm really mad that my, my audios from Dave Donaldson didn't upload. I'm going to do a show for him specifically. This is going to be dedicated to the person that this is about. And the headline is, DRC Congo Child Rape Victim Dies. An 11-month-old 11, an 11 baby girl has died in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo a day after she was raped, the UN said. The alleged rapist, a man age 20, had been detained by the Congolese police about 140 kilometers west of Goma. He faced a life sentence. Reports of the atrocity came as the Red Cross held a news conference in Geneva to denounce the systematic violence against girls and women in DRC Congo. <clears throat> Excuse me. A six-year-old girl named Mushika told a correspondent she was looking after goats in a village when a soldier grabbed her and abused her. He laid me on the ground. He lifted my skirt. I was trying to shout, but he put his hand on my mouth. And after he had finished, he ran away. When I tried to walk, I was busy. When the girl's mother discovered what happened, she took the child to the military camp where she asked to point out the man. The soldier was then shot in front of me. But later, his uncle came to our home and threatened to kill the whole family to take revenge. She got her justice. Now, maybe there might be more violence appeased upon her family, but I am not one to advocate murder. But um, Mushika... I hope you're recovering today, and I hope you're doing well. And I hope you're getting better, and I'm glad you have justice. People, an 11-month-old 11, 11 baby girl was raped. Come on. Come on. What can you There's nothing to say. I'm going to give something else to you here. It's too difficult, people. Marinda Prazi, who we dedicated a letter, a letter earlier to earlier, I'm read something about her. She was at home with her family when the rebels attacked. They broke into her home and took all her possessions before torturing her, her husband, and their teenage children. Then the horror began. Let me read that again, people. Marinda Prazi was at home with her family when the rebels attacked. They broke into her home and took all her possessions before torturing her, her husband, and their ch- teenage children. Then the horror began. She says... They forced my son to have sex with me, and when he finished, they killed him. Then they raped me in front of my husband, and then they killed him too. Then they took, me, then they took away my three daughters, 13, 14, and 17. She hasn't seen them since. You ask people, the police isn't coming for me. Maybe they're on the way to the airport to go to LAX to go to Congo to take care of this because they're hearing the broadcast. A small woman, she speaks softly and without visible emotion, but as she describes being left naked while her house burned, she raises a hand to cover her face. Uprazi is 50 years old. People, you know, 
and yet another one. Muezo, she's 25 years old. She's in Bukavu. 25 years old. Her name is Miyawazu, M-Y-W-A-Z-O. She's the proud mother of two, but she doubts her husband can ever accept that about her, not after what happened. For three and a half years, beginning in 2004, she was held hostage in the forest surrounding her village. There she was raped by men she identifies as the Intahamwe, the Hutu militia linked to the Rwanda genocide, and implicated in rape and pillage attacks throughout North and Sud Kivu. The first days, all the men slept with everyone, she says. She was talking to a woman, Inus. Then each chose a woman to keep. They cut the sex of the woman. They killed and hung it on their ten walls. I despaired each day I expected to die. Let me say this again. They cut the sex of the woman they killed and hung it on their tent walls. I despaired each day. I expected to die. I think they were talking about the clitoris, uh, the female, female genitalia. We'll just say that. I'm not sure the exact word, so I apologize if I offend anybody in my mispronunciation. Her last name, which they won't give, in the density forested area, forested area, rapes remain rampant, and it's going like crazy, people. It's not ending. She was so traumatized, she couldn't even finish telling her story. But she talked about how on the day of her arrival to the militia's camp where she was held hostage, the spray of gunfire scarred the flesh around her thighs. Another bullet struck where the jaw meets the ear. Now she struggled to chew and to hear. Her first child survived the ordeal with her. People, her child... Pulaku was five. She says she shielded him behind her back when she was struck from the front. Her second child, six-month-old Chito, breastfeeds sleepily, as her mother explained. She was born out of bondage by a man she calls Bizimwa. That was a child of rape. People, I can't go on with that. I can't. I'm done. But I can't give up. Because if they can't give up, I can't give up. So I want to do something for the ladies here out there who are doing what they do. We're going to dedicate our two pieces here. Ah, they did upload. Dave Donaldson's Rape and Murder. It's from his book, Hearts of Diamond. He sent in, instead of a letter, he sent an audio clip from his book. Uh, his book is called Hearts of Diamond. I implore you to go out there and get it. This piece right here is called Rape and Murder. Talk to me, Dave. <laughs> Hello, I'm Dave Donaldson, the author of Heart of Diamonds, and this is The Rape of a Mother. This passage from my novel illustrates the terrible plight of the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo, where nearly six million people have died in the last ten years. Once he started, Christophe talked softly but rapidly as if he wanted to get the story over with. The Lunda Libre came in the morning. It was so early no one had gone to the fields. We tried to run to the forest to hide, but there were too many of them, and they shot us and chopped us and beat us with clubs. The noise and the smoke, it was horrible. I ran with my mare and the baby, but she fell. Her feet tangled in her pannier, and I couldn't pull her up. The soldiers grabbed me and held my arms. I tried to fight them, but they made me look at her anyway. I could not stop them. One soldier yanked the baby from my mare and threw him on the ground. 
When the baby cried, the big soldier kicked him like a football, and he flew through the air and bounced on the ground on the other side of the road, and then he lay still. His voice became more agitated. The other soldiers laughed. It was a big joke. He lifted his head, staring at something in the distance Jamie couldn't see. One man pulled Ma Mare's pange over her head. Another big soldier stomped on her until she stopped struggling. Then they all violated her, taking turns. One soldier kicked her between her legs before he stuck his thing into her. I tried to fight the soldiers holding me and yelled at them to stop hurting Ma Mare, but they would not, and one hit me in the stomach with his gun, and I got sick on the ground. Ma Mare screamed. Then the big soldier cut off her saying with his machete, and then he violated her with the blade, and then she died in the dirt. I could not help her because they held me too hard. His head drooped. He took a deep, shuddering breath before he looked up. Thank you for supporting the people of the Congo and for listening to this passage from Heart of Diamonds. Dave, brother, thank you very much. Let me tell you something, folks. When a man says Hange, you can tell he did his research, but he basically told what happened. And if you notice, he talked about the machete because sisters and brothers, they wasn't making That's not fiction. I have a scene in our film, Once Upon a Time in Congo, that Dave found in his research also, that's in his book, because we both did our research and stuff like that. When he's talking about the machete, he's not joking because they're not just raping the women, you know, with their bodies. They're raping them with guns. They're raping them with branches. They're raping them with machetes. There's stories of them sticking in, you know, sticking guns into women's private parts and pulling the trigger. I'm done. There's not a... I'm done. <laughs> Folks... I'm not no woman. I'm not going to try to imagine what that feels like. But I'm going to tell you. That was my woman I'm seeing on the ground. That happened to. The only vision is going to be me next to the Lord after I try to murder the guy that assaulted my woman. Our women are getting brutalized beyond reason. Dave was not talk, joking about what he was talking about. Dave, I really appreciate you sharing that. I really appreciate you sharing that. It's not right. It's not right. Dave, give me something else. Hearts of Diamonds, Anguish of Rape. Hello, I'm Dave Donaldson, author of Heart of Diamonds, and this is The Anguish of Rape. This passage from my novel illustrates the terrible plight of the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo, where nearly six million people have died in the last ten years. That is Augustine, Franny explained quietly. She was raped by seven men in front of her husband and children. 
One of them used a plantain to humiliate her even more. Bobby turned the camera on Franny, who ignored it and kept talking. She had to take her children and go live in the hills when her husband kicked her out. Why did he do that? Valerie asked. He was sure she had contracted a disease from the men who raped her, so he didn't want anything to do with her anymore. Her children all died in the bush. There were three of them. As Franny told Augustine's story, Valerie felt the anguish draw around her like a dark curtain. She mentally pushed it back so she could focus on Franny and the story. How did her children die, she asked gently. I don't know for sure, but probably from what you and I would consider a minor disease. It could have been a simple infection, like most of these kids, they were probably underfed to start with, weak. That means just about any medical problem becomes life-threatening. The massacres and battles get press coverage, but nobody ever reports on how many people die from the real effects of civil war. Disruption of the food supply and lack of medical care kill a lot more people than bullets. More than five million have died in the Congo since 1998. The shame is, almost all of them die from treatable diseases like malaria and diarrhea, aggravated by living in a permanent war zone. Thank you for supporting the people of the Congo and for listening to this passage from Heart of Diamonds. Dave, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, there was a lady, she was sexually assaulted back in DRC. And, um, Folks, I'm, I'm, you should see the people behind me right now. There is some emotion in this room, and I'm struggling, but I can't give up. My sister's back home. I've given up. I can't give up. And um, she got, you know, said she thought that she was great. She now has to carry. She has two children that are victims of rape. Then she's like 26, and she has HIV. And no one support her. And, you know, our culture, the man, you know, left. Because that's a new phenomenon for us of our women being assaulted like that. Because not only do the women get raped, but the man gets raped with his dignity and his manhood. To me, fate, to me, you know, me made to feel powerless. It's like our brothers and sisters in America. When during the slave, during the slavery um, in this country, in the United States, they were breaking up families and selling them off. And you remember that scene from Roots, where I think it was a cheesy, I can't remember her name, was being sold off. And my last vision is her being in that um, horse wagon as it goes off and she's screaming to her mother, to her family. Screaming. And the father has to watch helplessly because he's trying to defend her, but they have, they're holding him down. So the men are getting raped in their own way, not sexually, but in their own way. What a lot of people don't know is when Uganda invaded Congo through the east up in the Turin, and this has been documented by the UN. It's been documented, what I'm about to say. They sent in 2,000 of their soldiers who are HIV positive to rape the women.
it's brutal. I can't go on. But they're not only raping them that way, they're trying to leave a legacy of exterminating and killing off our women. Folks, I got two things I'm going to share with you. I actually got my chat moved back up so I can see some stuff here. Uh, Tina Ngangua says there is a march in D.C. on February 7th. Yeah, Tina, send me that information. Send it to me, and I'll put it on the next show. If you can get it to me, I'll put it up now. But um, Tina Ngangua down there in Miami says there's a march in D.C. on February 7th. And apparently some women, some Congolese women here in the United States will be at that march. So they're going to be organizing it. So, Tina, some information I'll talk about next show. I'll put the flyer on the blog. So, people, we have a minute left. Thanks for the information, Tina. I appreciate it. Um, sister, sister, sister talk. She has a question. Why haven't arrest been made? Because I was talking with her via chat. What prevents the punishment? No interest. They're more concerned about looting the country and making money than they are about defending the women. There are men out there, don't get me wrong, there are men out there defending the women, but those that should be defending them aren't. They're too busy looking out for their own interests, seeing women as nothing, and they're too busy looting the country. That's all they are. They're too busy looting the country. But sister, sister, sister talk, punishment is coming down the road. As Dr. Stanley said, you reap what you sow, more than you sow, and later than you sow. Folks, we're about to go off the air here. I got 60 seconds left. Y'all, thanks for your support. I love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Just don't give up. Things are going to change. Things are going to change. Things are going to change. Talk to you later. Thanks for your support. I love all you guys. I'm gone.
I want to read her thing on the air. 